Welcome to Understanding Congress, a podcast about the first branch of government. Congress is a notoriously complex institution, and few Americans think well of it. But Congress is essential to our republic. It's a place where our pluralistic society is supposed to work out its differences and come to agreement about what our laws should be. And that is why we are here to discuss our national legislature and to think about ways to upgrade it so it can better serve our nation. I'm your host, Kevin Kosar, and I'm a resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank in Washington, D.C. The topic of today's episode is How Can a New Staffer Survive Congress? My guest is Mark Strand, the co author of the book Surviving Inside Congress. Mark is the president of the Congressional Institute, a not for profit organization that helps members of Congress better serve their constituents and that helps constituents better understand Congress. Mark has led the Institute since 2007, and prior to that, spent nearly 20 years working as a staffer for members and committees in the House of Representatives. Mark, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kevin. It's good to be here. Let me ask my first question, which is, how does somebody get a job working for Congress? What are the pathways in? It's interesting. There are really several pathways in, and none of them are necessarily traditional. It's very rare you hear of anyone getting a job on the Hill by looking at the classifieds. The two best ways, I think, are to volunteer in a campaign. And then if the guy wins, you're at least you, he, you're a known quantity and you have an opportunity to, to maybe get in on the ground floor. Or the second is to intern. And if you do an internship, you can definitely be successful. The way I tell people who are interning to think about it is that it's like a two-month job interview. If you go and you just want to fool around and go to the receptions, all right, there's that kind of intern. If you're the kind of intern that got sent that they hired because daddy was a big fundraiser and that he wanted his son to work on the Hill, yeah, that'll come through true. But the, the interns who are the most successful are ones who really work hard, try to fill vacuums, you know, ask the staff assistant, ask the LAs if they can help with something, if they can do some research. And then what they'll find out very quickly is that the more they do, the more they're trusted and the more they're given. And the Hill is sort of the, the last of the great meritocracies. You know, the, there's no job protection, but at the same time, there's no qualifications. It doesn't matter if you have a degree or a master's degree or where you're from, what race, ethnicity, anything. It doesn't matter, but it, because if you make the boss look good, they're going to find a way to keep you and to give you more and more to do. So uh, the best thing to do is to get your foot in the door any way you can. Internships are usually the best for volunteers, but... At the same time, once you get your foot in the door, just understand that they're watching very closely to see if you're the kind of person they're going to want to keep on for a long time. That's true. The Hill, as you note in your book, is not for everyone. Now, surviving inside Congress, one of the passages, and there are many, that caught my eye was where you wrote that there's little in someone's college coursework that's likely to well prepare them for a job on the Hill. That might be surprising to some of the listeners. They might think, well, I took political science and a course on government, and you know, that'll make me ready. That's not the case. Why is that? And is there anything a student listening to you today can do to prepare themselves for a job on the Hill? Yeah, Kevin, it's interesting. Yeah, I was a double major in undergraduate history and political science, and the history is far more valuable because the history teaches you about what's happened the before and what's likely to happen again in one form or another. So I think history is a great thing to have. I think a good writer 
one of the most important things for the for working on the hill is to be a good writer, a good communicator. So taking any courses in communication or writing, even English literature, something that helps you with the language can give you the opportunity to be a real asset in a congressional staff. So I think my friends in political science, you and I are kind of in the same boat. You know, we have friends who think that just because they can put a square root into a, a white paper somewhere that it's called political science. But it's, it's, it's not quite a science as much, unless maybe sociology is your science. It's more just the business of, of people. And if you understand people, and if you get along with people, and you try to read people, this is going to be the most valuable thing you can do. In fact, you know, it's sometimes in the business world, they talk about emotional intelligence as opposed to just you know, the, the knowledge-based intelligence. And in politics, emotional-based intelligence is very important. So if you're in college and you get the opportunity to work with people on a regular basis, to interact with people, this is what you want to be doing. You don't want to just sit there reading a book. But I'll tell you, it goes even further, not just for new employees, but like, for instance, chiefs of staff. You know, here they are running a small business. In the Senate, you're running maybe a fairly large business. And almost no one gets their job because they're good at management. You know, there are very few MBAs on Capitol Hill. They get their job because they're good at legislation or they're good at press or good at campaigns. And all of a sudden, they're t- put in charge of an office of you know, 20 people or 40 people in the Senate, 18 people in the House. And said, okay, manage these people and continue to do what you were doing well before. So it's tough about what education you get beforehand, because sometimes you're not really prepared for the challenges you get. Yeah, it sounds like there's a case for students who want to prepare for the Hill to, well, for one, make sure that they can write well. Number two, invest some time in learning how to speak well. Number three, steeping themselves in in some history about Congress and the basics of the structure and how how the place is built. And fourth, maybe finding some sort of course or class on interpersonal bargaining, because relationships and that sociological aspect of the Hill is just, I would think, critical to succeeding as a staffer. Yeah, there's a reason that poly is the root word of politics. It means people. It's a business involving people. If you're good with people, you can do very well. So when a staffer who's lucky enough to get a foot in the door and land on Capitol Hill, when he or she first arrives, what can he or she do to avoid screwing up? Are there classic traps and pitfalls to avoid? <laughs> there are, and there, I sometimes think it's like a gauntlet. The senior staff is trying to see which interns will trip up and which won't. The whole thing is, if, you're, if you get your foot in the door, it's a serious place, it's a serious business with a long institutional history. You need to treat it with respect. It also means you need to figure out how you can be most helpful and then do it. One thing I tell people on the Hill is to to fill vacuums. Whenever you get the opportunity to do something, you know, take it on. Even if it's an issue that's not particularly interesting to you, but if LA asks you to write a letter on some issue that it seems like a boring issue, do it and do it well. One, you're learning how to learn, which is the important thing about doing a letter. But two, you never know when that issue is suddenly going to become big. I remember for years, the veterans' issues were kind of more casework than anything else. But then we had a war, and then we had people trying to get into the VA hospital system. And all of a sudden, the, the scandal of how badly the VA hospitals were being run became a huge issue. So here's an issue where maybe no one was paying much attention before, suddenly became the most important issue in Congress. And as a result, you know, the person handling that issue suddenly was front and center talking to the boss, talking to the member of Congress on a regular basis about the latest in legislative developments and news and what the administration is doing. So you never know. I always thought the best way to work on the Hill is to fill vacuum. You know, I came in as a junior legislative assistant, and I just kept taking issues. Within a year and a half, 
I was a legislative director at age 26. You know, a few years later, I was the chief of staff for a different member. You just keep grabbing what comes your way. And, and the good thing about it is it's always vacuums. I mean, you have, you have 10,000 bills introduced in every single session of Congress. Each one of them, the most important thing in the world is somebody, although there are a lot more somebodies and some bills than others. But the more you learn, the more you become valuable, the more you carve out your own niche and the more you, you create a desire in your office to keep you moving up and keep going on because you make them all look good. The other thing I would say also is to get to network with a lot of people, uh, besides becoming a student of Congress. And I really do think that's important to become a student of Congress where you study the institution, read the books. I mean, the Robert Ramini's The House or Carol's book of Master of the Senate. Get a flavor for what goes on, because you can almost tell the, for instance, the history of the House goes according to the power of the Rules Committee. And it's, it's cyclical. It goes up and down, which means that what is today won't be tomorrow. And what was yesterday may be again next year. So the more you, you treat the institution with respect and, the, and just work hard at every opportunity you get, the further you'll go. But it's not for everybody. Not everyone wants to work that hard. But if you want to be successful, you should. Yeah. One of the things that your book emphasizes is that for a new staffer or even a long-term staffer to be successful, he or she's got to know his place. In short, you're not the star of the show as the staffer. Somebody else is. Yeah. That would be the elected official. And that's a demand that for people who want attention, who want recognition for getting things done, needs to be suppressed. Because if you want to go around claiming credit for getting things done, that doesn't work with the ethos of the place, does it? No, it's, it's a very vicarious existence in some ways, because your best work is, of course, for the, the boss. It's, his name is on the door. The people elected, the congressman and congresswoman, they're the agenda that the people voted for. And your job is to help the members successfully accomplish that agenda. And so as a result, you, know, you, you, don't go to, you shouldn't go bragging about things you have done that, you know, as if you were the, per, the member, because you can't do that. But at the same time, it also means that you get doors open to you that wouldn't be otherwise open, so you can accomplish things. The nice thing is when you work for a member of Congress and you, you, know, you call a think tank like AEI and say, my boss is a member of Congress and he's working on this issue. Do you have any policy experts who can come brief him? And the American Enterprise Institute says, absolutely, right? We, we'll send our scholars down any chance we get. And so all of a sudden, if you were in college and made that phone call, you, you know, might get patted on the head. But if you're in Congress, you call that, all of a sudden, there are top experts in the field rushing down to the Hill to talk to your boss at, at your say-so. So it's, it's a kind of a trade-off. You, you do have to suppress your own personality, which is hard for people in politics, since there are a lot of type A's and a lot of extroverts. But at the same time, you have an opportunity to get things done that there's no place, other place in the world you'd be able to get that much accomplished. You know, I had a story of a, a young staffer who was, was very accomplished. She was volunteered when Talent got elected to the Senate in 2002. She was a student at George Washington studying Latin American affairs. And she said, I'll volunteer. Can I answer the phone for you? So that'd be great. She did. And she was so good, we hired her as a staff assistant. And, you know, as a staff assistant, she would do all of her jobs, and then she'd ask the legislative assistant if she could help with some letters, and she started working on some issues. Then she worked on the issues, and all of a sudden, you know, we had an opening, and she became a legislative correspondent. So she moved up quickly, you know, just within a few months. Finally, a big issue came along. Now, we were a big goals-oriented office. We had a lot of plans, but all of a sudden, the boss had a new issue he wanted to do use. And so he said, who can handle this issue? Everyone else was filled with this. And 
she volunteered. She said, well, if you guys help me do it, I will be happy to handle the issue. You know? And so, yes, she started taking over. It was a bill on methamphetamines because in Missouri, where talent was from, they had the this biggest cause of rural fires was meth labs blowing up and they needed to do something about it. And so they taught her, we taught her how to write a dear colleague letter and, and different, how to go, go to this legislative council and get a bill drafted. And she did fine. And, you know, she would call up someone at the Judiciary Committee and the, the, the senior staffer there would say, beat it, kid. And then she'd go to town. Town would go talk to Arlen Specter, who was the Republican Judiciary Chairman at the time. All of a sudden, that same staffer called her back. I'm sorry, I, I must have misunderstood what you were saying. Please, how can I help you? And things would move along. And all of a sudden, the bill got attached. Mitch McConnell got attached to the Patriot Act, because in the Senate, you can do things like that. And Roy Blunt, who was the whip in the House at the time, got it attached to the House bill. And it passed and became law. And the reason why you have to sign a log today to get pseudofedrin, and the reason why there are very few domestic meth labs anymore is because of this work with this one 22-year-old person who volunteered one day for a Senate office and just kept taking on more and more responsibilities. Now, where else in the world can you have that kind of impact in your early 20s than you can on Capitol Hill? So I, the, the key is to just keep filling those vacuums and doing it. And you never know what's going to happen fall in your lap. And you could actually, the serious thing about it and why you want to be a student of it is that you do have the chance to change history. There's very few places in the world you can say that today, but on the Hill, you can that's amazing. That's a great story. It's a great, great story. And it's one where you're probably not going to find a newspaper naming this individual and giving her credit for this achievement. But you know, and she knows, and the people who are on the Hill know. And that, that was a good thing, because I should say she went on to become the U.S. trade representative in Europe for the European Union. So obviously other people saw her work and she moved up rapidly and kept moving, even in her career that went outside of Congress. I want to move on. You've given us some hints to it, but could you say, what is the work culture inside the House of Representatives? It's clearly not a nine to five corporate cubicle job. How would you characterize it? Boy, you know, it's a, you got to be all in. And it's a, it's a hard job in the sense that you, the hours are you put in what's needed. It's not a nine to five job. But you're not civil service. I mean, so it's not like you have any job protections either. But, you know, when there's a budget on the floor and they're going to vote all through the night, like they do in the Senate, when they, something they call voterama, you're going to be there all night and you have to be following the bill every step of the way. So your boss doesn't cast the wrong vote on an issue. You know, sometimes when the Congress is in session, things are more relaxed, but you just have to understand that when you work on the Hill, that you're professional and you do what the job requires. And sometimes that's 50 hour weeks or 60 hour weeks. And sometimes it's not so bad. But when Congress is in session, you work hard. You know, the other thing I find, too, is that if you're OCD or something, you know, you, you have compulsive personality, you can only do one thing at a time. This is a very rough place to work, you know, because you can be sitting at your desk and typing a memo and you get a phone call. And someone calls you, it's a constituent asking a question. And just then the boss comes out and says, what's this vote on the floor? How am I supposed to vote? And you got to talk to your boss, give him the answer that you got to then pick up the phone and finish that call and then sit down and go back to writing. It's a multitasking job. And, you know, they always warn you about not multitasking because maybe you don't do anything right. Well, you multitask and you have to do everything right. This is why, to a large degree, it's a young person's job because, you know, people get burned out over time. And it's hard. It's hard to do that, but you have to do that. But the key is if you can do that, you can do any job anywhere. One of the things you see, and I think quite it's unfortunate too many people go downtown too quickly you know, is that they see all these hardworking people and how fast they acquire knowledge and can continue acquiring knowledge and they try to gobble them up. 
But you shouldn't enter the hill thinking that way. I think you should work hard. But the point is that if you learn to the, the hill environment and you succeed there, you know you can be successful in almost anything you choose to do down the road. Put in the effort. I mean, there's some people who get there and, you know, it doesn't look like the Taj Mahal they saw on a TV show with, you know, Marvel offices. You're, you're, you're cramped in an office with eight other people. It's so noisy all the time. But at the same time, information floats through the air. You can practically reach up and grab it. Like you get smarter by osmosis because C-SPAN's on, you're hearing congressional debate, your colleagues are talking about issues. It's just, it's an amazing experience about how to learn. But for instance, you're the kind of person who needs to work with no noise in that in the background. Yeah, it's not a great place to work because it is noisy and it's busy and it's rushed and it's hectic and, and deadlines, you know, come and go. And the boss needs something out of nowhere. You, you have to stop what you're doing and do that too. It's not like you can say, no, I'm sorry, I'm working on something else. No. If your boss has something you need to get, you got to do it. And so it's, it's a tough environment, which is one of the reasons why, the, you know, the average person stays on the hill for less than two and a half years. And let's say it was done for a while ago. It might, have been, it might even be less than that now because it's not for everybody. And there's no shame in that if that's not your kind of personality. But if it is, well, you've, you've found a you know, job nirvana because this is you get to work on things that are really important all the time from a very early age. Interesting. Interesting. Now. Legislators have offices both in Washington, D.C. and back home in their districts and home states. Does the work differ in these offices, D.C. versus district and state? That's a great point, Kevin, because it's actually not only different, it's almost two separate cultures at the same time. And a member has to pay very close attention to keep them united on the same page. Yeah, I always... I do a lot of individual office retreats where I'll go out and I'll spend time with both the district and the DC staff getting them together. And I always tell people 90% of offices have communication, that trouble communicating between the district and the DC staff, and the other 10% are liars because it's just a common theme with all offices on the Hill that they work different ways. And part of it is because in the district, they say, well, you get to spend all this time with the boss and you, you're at the Capitol and you, you know, you're at the center of attention while we're out here working and quiet and and then the D.C. staff says, well, what are they doing? You know, meanwhile, you're working weekends in the district and driving the boss around. You, know, you have your 15, 18-hour days the same way. And so they just fundamentally don't always understand each other about what the most important thing is that they need to do. You know, in the district, you frequently do a lot more casework and you do a lot more outreach, individual outreach. But to do those things successfully, you have to do it in cooperation with the D.C. office. And so the legislative staff has to work very closely with the caseworkers and the outreach staff to make sure they're on message and they have the latest information. There's nothing worse than being an outreach staffer in the, in the district office and going to a chamber of commerce meeting when, when someone walks up and says, hey, heard your boss on the radio this morning. He, she was really good. And you say, uh, I'm sure she was. She always is. <laughs> because the DC staff forgot to tell you that your boss was going to be on the radio that day. And so it's it's an interesting thing. The more the two offices keep each other informed, the better off they, they are in terms of maintaining a common culture based on the boss's priorities. The other thing, too, is it also takes good management to, to work the differences between the two. I mean, the chief of staff has to talk weekly and regularly with the district director. The district director has to talk to all their reports. So you have to have a common flow so that the information, the office knows what's going on in both places at the same time. It doesn't have to be really difficult to do either. There are little techniques you can do. But, but because the two are different, the D.C. office is very fast-paced. It's very legislatively and communications-focused. And 
the district office is very people-oriented, problem-solving, and, and going into talking to people and in individual things. They're two different worlds, but they're all serving the same purpose. So building a common culture is very important to having success between the two. I think there's nothing more rewarding individually than casework. It's one of the few areas in, in Congress where you get to work on something where there is the satisfaction of seeing the job through to completion. You got somebody a lost disability check they hadn't gotten. You helped an immigrant to get the family into the country, or, or you helped a small business get this loan they'd been applied for and that had been stuck. I mean, this kind of stuff is very satisfying because you can see the results. Sometimes when you legislate a system, you draft a bill, one, the odds are against the single light of day. But even if it does, the, it'll change 10 times before it actually passes. And so you may not recognize it completely when it actually does become law. And so it's less, there's less instant gratification working in Washington as opposed to working in the district office. But both jobs are completely necessary. Both make the world turn around. Ah, very good. Very good. Now, you write in Surviving Inside Congress that it is important for a staffer to develop relationships outside the office. Why? What are the benefits of networking? And are these benefits, you know, benefits for the staffer or benefits for the boss? Both? Something else? You know, Kevin, actually, you, you hit the nail on the head, actually, with the question, is that really is both. You grow a lot by meeting other people, especially, you know, look at the Hill environment, is that you have a people who are at similar education levels, similar age, similar jobs. You're kind of doing the same thing. You can only benefit from sharing your own best practices and the things you've learned or coming to somebody with a particular problem had seen it, they've dealt with it before, too. So from a personal level, you know, it's very beneficial to meet with your colleagues and other people. It's also important to meet with people off the Hill who are involved in the issues you care about because they have, they have the time to think about a lot of these issues and they have a lot of resources where they can help you become smarter at the things you want to become smarter at. But there's another thing too, which you talk about, why is it good for the boss? And it really is because this is how the Hill works. It's the glue that holds it together is this sort of network of staffers who talk to each other outside of the earshot of the press. One of the big problems in Washington is that everything is covered by the media. So you, know, you don't usually have a lot of trial balloons. But if you have friends, especially friends in the other party, you can call them up one day and say, you know, hypothetically, if my boss were to introduce this bill, hypothetically, how might your boss react to that? Well, hypothetically speaking, if you brought, well, your boss introduced that bill, I think my boss might be inclined to co-sponsor that and maybe join you for a press conference announcing, well, thank you. And so then you both go back and you talk to your bosses, right? And also now your boss can go and make the ask. This is sort of how you used to float trial balloons. So it's basically the staffers talking to each other. And so, you know, building this kind of network with your colleagues allows you to get things done on behalf of your boss. One of the things we sponsor is we have a retreat we do for the chiefs of staff, and we do another treat for legislative directors and communicators. They spend time with each other, not only you know, comparing notes and having a nice social setting, but learning things that they have in common and sharing the things they've done well that maybe the other staffers might want to try in their offices too. You just become a much better and more complete staffer. There is a danger, and the question implies it, by the negative, that you could stay in your office and work in your cubicle and, and spend time on your computer, and, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and still have more work to do, but you won't be as good a staffer because, you know, you're just not getting the extra knowledge that can only come from conversing and, and fellowship with, your, with other people. I've got two questions left, and I want to circle back to this issue of a staffer who's made it to the Hill and wants to get better 
at his or her job. What sort of training or other self-development opportunities are there out there? Certainly there's the Congressional Institute. Yeah, there's good groups. There's the Congressional Institute. There's a Congressional Management Foundation, which is very helpful for learning things. There are the think tanks, the, the American Enterprise Institute and, and others, bipartisan coalition and groups out there that spend their time working on trying to help you do your job better and trying to make the Congress as an institution work better. And the key thing is to take advantage of these things. So, you know, Washington is floating in information. There is so much knowledge here. Usually the challenge is, is to figure out which is valuable to you and which you find is credible. There are think tanks that work better for, for them. And if you're conservative, there are think tanks that work better for others. So one group may not provide as much inf- valuable information to, as another, but the key thing is for you to make those contacts so you can get your hands on the vital information that's necessary to do your job very well. I would encourage you to read books on Congress. Surviving inside Congress wouldn't be a bad place to start, but there's a ton of information on the history of the institution as well as things on, on, on writing legislation and doing things better. Always be trying to improve yourself. It's an interesting thing, Kevin, is that I got my master's in legislative affairs after I finished my congressional career of 24 years. And you say, well, why would you do that? And what happened was it, was, it turned out to be an enormous amount of fun because I realized on the Hill that I learned just enough information to get through that day. You know, if the, the president had issued an executive order, I learned just enough about that executive order to, for the, the politics of the moment. But you go to school and all of a sudden there's a master's program. I'm studying the different kinds of executive orders and the history of them and how the, some executive orders are written on maps. And we had accidentally been under a state of emergency for 35 years because someone forgot to repeal Franklin Roosevelt's emergency during the Great Depression. You know, all these things, that, and it was fun. It was, you, I, you enjoy learning. But the key thing I found out is that, you know what, no matter how hard you try, you never learn everything about Congress. Every day, you can learn something new. So even old pros like me and you have been doing this for a while. Yeah, we learn things new every day about Congress or learn a different way of looking at something. And that's part of the fulfillment of the job. But it's also a key thing to understand if you're a junior staffer is that it goes back to one of your early questions. You know, it's it's not about you. It's about the institutions, about your bosses, about your place in that system. And the more you take that seriously and the more the better you become your job, the better you serve the country. And, you know, that sounds a little Pollyannish, maybe, or but the reality is, is that that's your job when you're working for Congress is to help people in the country. And it really is an unselfish thing if you do it right. But you're also rewarded greatly the more unselfish you are. It's one of those things about servant leadership. So working hard, learning a lot, taking advantage of the opportunities to get the training you can, and there, there are tons there, will make you a better person, will make you a better public servant. For my last question, let me ask, if there was one last piece of wisdom that you'd want to highlight for listeners to this podcast, whether it's something drawn from the book or just drawn from your own personal experience about either the value of being in Congress or just how to be good at it, what would you it know, be? Kevin, some of the place where you and I have been in common has been this area of congressional reform, and, and it comes from a love of this institution of the Congress. And one of the things you realize is that every country has an executive, whether it's a president or prime minister, or king, queen, emperor, chairman of the Politburo, whatever. But only healthy democracies have well-functioning legislatures because it's the Congress that checks the power of the executive. So not only is working in Congress something you should take seriously because it's a good job and it's an interesting job, but because you play a vital role in the preservation of democracy. 
it's the sort of thing where if Congress is doing its job, our system works. It's when Congress doesn't do its job or Congress gives up its power or Congress refuses to take up something because the politics aren't right at that moment, that the executive gets strengthened because the executive will always act. That the Congress gives the executive power, the president will take it in a heartbeat. And so really by becoming a student of the institution and helping Congress be successful as a staffer, you actually do a lot to preserve the idea of democracy. And the interesting thing is the older I get and the longer I've been doing this, the more I firmly believe that. I think if you had asked me when I was 25, if my job was to save democracy, I, I probably would have laughed at you, and, you know, unless you're a constituent, in which case I would have said, thank you very much, sir. But even now, this age now that I've gotten to, I really have come to the conclusion that the people who work in Congress are the glue that hold our democracy together. If that institution fails to do its job or if it becomes too weak, you know, we risk losing what makes this country so valuable in our system that checks and balances. So, I mean, my advice would be take the job seriously, become a student of it and defend and protect the institution of Congress against people who would see it be less successful. You know, one of the funny things is, of course, you know, as Americans, we, we're naturally suspicious of authority and especially somebody who voluntarily wants to be elected. You know, our role models for elected officials were like George Washington, Paul Ryan, right? George Washington kept retiring. They kept having to drag him back, you know. And so the reluctant servant, when Paul Ryan became speaker, he didn't want the job. In fact, but that turned out to be what Americans liked most about him becoming speaker at the time. We did a survey on that. And the people said they liked his Midwestern values. But what they also liked about him was that he didn't want the job, but he was doing it because he was asked and because it was important. It's an interesting thing, the way we work in Congress. But I guess that's my advice. Take it seriously. Work hard. Be humble and understand you're a servant, but also you'll become well-respected by your colleagues, which is something that most of us learn to value greatly over time. Very good. Mark Strand, thank you so much for being on the program. Kevin, thank you. It's a real honor for me. Thank you for listening to Understanding Congress, a podcast of the American Enterprise Institute. This program was produced by Elaine Allen and hosted by Kevin Kosar. You can subscribe to Understanding Congress via Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We hope you will share this podcast with others and tell us what you think about it by posting your thoughts and questions on Twitter and tagging at AEI. We hope you have a great day. Thank you.